This is CliffCentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law. Like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg and this is The Laws of Life on CliffCentral.com. As we know, many victims of rape and abuse around the world and here at home have secretly held their deepest, darkest, darkest secrets for years and sometimes decades. And what is now happening is that a lot of them are speaking out. Campaigns on social media like Me Too have encouraged abused victims to share their own experiences. The question that I ask and and many others do is, why have these horrific stories of rape and abuse been kept silent for so many years? Surely the truth can set you free. To tell us of the darkest, her darkest of secrets, which she held for over 30 years, is good friend, Olivia, welcome to you, Olivia. Hi, Gary. Good. Also joining us are two of my favorite people, uh, Luke Lamprecht. Welcome to you, Luke. Thanks, Gary. And to Miranda Jordan Friedman. She's Executive Director, Women and Men Against Child Abuse, known as Wamaka. Known as Wamaka. Thank yeah. you, Gary. Luke, just tell us, uh, I, I, I can't keep up with you, who you're with and what you're up to right now. Well, uh, in this context, I'm working with Miranda on a few campaigns around Child Protection Week and heading up to Youth Day. Good. Okay, um, Olivia, I've known you many ti- for, for many interviews we've done together. I've known you before that. Let me just quickly say that 11, you were sexually groomed and raped by your tennis coach. I was, yes. And it took you 30 years or a little more to reveal the most terrible secret. So who really are you? <clears throat> are you Olivia? And who are you? Yeah. Well, I started off Sue Ellen and I took on Mr. Hewitt many, many years ago. I think it's probably we into our, well, seven years now, eight yeah. years. I took him on mm. and, um, to a year after the trial, I decided I was going to change my name. And the reason, the, mo- the main reason I changed my name is because I was told I was unemployable because of what I had done. So I figured, let me go and become somebody else. Let me be- go and become a better person, somebody who I wasn't. Mm. And um, life's good now. Has the name change helped you in any way? It has. It's helped tremendously. Um, I actually love who I've become. Yeah. It took you 30 years to reveal... That you were raped by your tennis coach when you were a little girl. Why? Well, I didn't really have anywhere to go. You know, when, when, when he raped me initially, he told me that nobody would believe me. Um, and he also told me that he could get into a lot of trouble. And when I tried to address it with my mom, she dismissed it. Um, and so he, you know, in my mind as a, as a little girl, where do you go from there? He told me nobody would believe me and nobody did believe me. Mm. When you reached your kind of teens and you got a little older, 16, 17, 18, were you ever tempted 
to come out with the with this terrible story? Um, we did discuss it. I discussed it with a with with my best friend who he had threatened um, to rape, and um, we discussed it over the years. But it was always a very brief discussion, and then it, we kind of moved on from it. It was never really discussed in depth. Um, was I tempted? Uh, not really. You know, I just try to push it down and suppress it as much as I could. Do you remember we hosted a woman called Lee? Yes. Uh, she was also one of the abusees, if I can use that. She was abused by uh, Bob Hewitt as well. But she kept secret. She never, ever came out with it until she saw you, I think, on national television um, after you were giving after you had given evidence. Or something. Yeah, she she actually came to court and she sat in court. We hid her, we all hid her away, but she sat in the courtroom with us and watched us give evidence. She wanted to give evidence. She kept a secret for 33 years as well. Yes, she did. There were many other women, girls, that were also raped and abused by Bob Hewitt. Miranda, 70? Yes, approximately. I mean, there were, I mean, if I can also just, just add on to what um, she is saying is that we were, um, we were called, we were inboxed, we were of people who were saying thank you. Thank you to the three women who were prepared to go up against him. Um, go on the stand, were courageous enough to put their names out there and, and really have both the support, but also a lot of criticism. I mean, a very well-known sports commentator phoned me and said, how dare I support the women who are doing this? How dare we name him when we haven't the proof, when this is all just hearsay? Etc. So I really want How to. How did you react <laughs> when he called you? I said I have spoken directly to Venezuelan, and that we are a hundred percent in agreement as a whole organisation that what she told us is absolutely true, and that no woman, man, or child would put themselves through what she is going to put herself through. Without this being a hundred percent true, mm-hmm. worked in this for twenty five years. My colleague here next to me has worked in this. We know exactly why children don't talk. In fact, Luke, you mentioned a very valuable point right now about the fact we never even had these conversations around sexual violence. And maybe you want to pick up on that because we spoke about a very famous case and that, in fact, that was probably the first time we even started looking at issues of historical sexual abuse of children. Luke, before you answer that, as a, as a parent, I have a seven-year-old and God forbid anything should happen to him. There are parents listening that are petrified. We've become a petrified society mm. that God forbid one of our children is being abused and he's not coming out with it. So... Tell us what to do. What is the answer? Well, I think the first thing is that, particularly sort of in the in the pre the Gert van Rooyen case in the late eighties, people never really had conversations with their children about the fact that adults could harm them sexually. Mm. I think a big reason was, you know, we lived in a very conservative, nationalistic country where we didn't talk about sex, let alone about the idea that adults could be using sort of sexual ways to harm children. And I think without that language, children can't can't find a space to talk about it. There's no vocabulary for it. There's no context for the conversation. So the, the important thing around speaking to children is sending simple messages around the fact that there are things 
things that adults might want to do with you that you're allowed to say no to, mm. but you may not be able to. One of the greatest dangers that we have with our current Say No campaigns is, if you think for yourself, Gary, uh, when do we actively encourage our children to say no to us in any other context? And the vast majority, 95 plus percent of people abusing children, are people that the children know, love and trust. Mm. That's, so that's the scary part. That's that the is scary, scary part. part. Yeah. And the thing is, we don't ever teach children to say no in any other context. And then if they are unable to say no because of the power differential, what happens is the guilt the guilt and shame and the fear of them in some way being complicit because of the grooming becomes mm. unmanageable. Do the schools, the teachers, the headmasters, whatever, do they teach our children to say no? Actively, never. Think, think in any context that you, that you can think of. The only time we tell children to say no is when a, an adult is trying to do something that an adult should be doing. So instead of saying to the adults, don't abuse children, we say to, we say to the children, you must say no when the adults try and abuse you. I mean, the, the conversation is bizarre. Bizarre. So the, the responsibility that for protecting children was placed in the hands of children through these say no campaigns. And that leads to a lot of the silence because Part of it is say, if I say something, I'm going to be in trouble. I did something wrong. Because most abuse that happens um, with children is, does not involve um, physical force. It involves grooming. Let's, let's look at Sue Ellen and the other 60, 70 girls. I don't know how many they were. They were, they were all coached by this very famous tennis player. Um, they trusted him. In fact, Sue Ellen has often said she loved him. I did. As a little girl. <laughs> he was your hero. He was. Isn't this what happens? Isn't this the danger of this whole thing that, the, as you've said, the people that are abusing the kids are someone that they respect and admire very often? Almost, almost always. Because that is what gives them access to it's what gives them access to the children, and as a society, we we often start taking on the what we call the defences, psychological defences of um, the perpetrators, because often there's a denial effect. You know, we can't believe that a priest or a coach or whatever is is abusing the children, or an uncle. Or an uncle, mm. then we we deny the severity of it, which we call minimization. No, it's not so bad. It, she was just touched, or maybe he didn't mean it. And then the the, the one that's really scary is there, there's a, a denial of responsibility that we expect children to be protecting themselves against adults that they cannot protect themselves against. Where we as adults should be the, the people who are responsible for ensuring that our children are protected. Mm. And the, the fact that children feel responsible is a large part of why they keep secret. And Sorry, also Miranda, the grooming, yeah, 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 and also the grooming of their families. Yeah. I mean, look at what happened in your family. So a well-liked uh, a person who's well liked by the family, who's encouraged to come over, who uh, parents are happy to let go off on two trips with that person, etc. Um, and and so now you are coming out not not only as somebody who's maybe not well liked by your family, so they will probably are more inclined to support you, but somebody who your family, many other families, uh, the tennis community, etc., really like and are fond of, he has huge power, he has huge likability in general, and, and now you have to come up on your own. Well, against I, that. Sorry. Olivia, yeah. If, 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 if you remember and you go back to the trial, my dad sat in that witness stand and said he could never have done it. He's a icon. 
For anyone that may not know, what has happened to what has happened to Bob Hewitt? Uh, give us the answer. Bob Hewitt is now sitting in jail. Um, Where? In, in St. Albans, Albans in yeah. PE. On mm. the 20th of September, he'll have been in there for two years. Mm. Hopefully, he's going to stay for a little bit longer. Um, so, yeah. yes, we... He'll we, celebrate, I think, his 78th or 79th he's, birthday. He's just had his 78th birthday. Day. Yeah. How many years did the court eventually give him? They gave him six years. Six years. Mm. So, in a year or so, he's he can apply for parole. He can indeed. Yeah. You haven't heard a peep from his family or anything, have you? Not a word. Um, I'm very actively playing tennis again. I'm playing tournaments again. Um, what has come out and comes out frequently is why didn't I just leave him alone? He's an old man. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's crazy. Um, that's we've quite got common. Cosby, we've got all these guys that are now coming forward. People are coming forward. Why all of a sudden, Luke? What is it? Is it social media? Is it the Me Too campaigns? Uh, Jennifer Ferguson's come out against Danny Yordan. Why now? Look, I think that there's been a bit of a groundswell around people's ability to connect and not feel that they are... Very often people abused feel they're the only ones. They don't know who to talk to. There's no no way to kind of uh, get involved with with other people who have shared a similar experience. And what I think social media has managed to do and the world being a, a much smaller connected place is it's allowed for mass messaging. And the minute you have something that, like a Me Too campaign, which is a mass message, mm. people are saying, oh, okay, I'm not the only one. It wasn't something about me. Mm. And that's that's one of the, the great sort of, the great tragedies of sexual abuse is the, what we call the traumatic sexualization or eroticization of young children, is that what happens is those um, young people are often abused more than once by more than one person on different occasions because there is a there is a level at which, the, the the way they've been sexualized sends out certain messages that make them multiple victims and then they start believing it's something about themselves mm. that has drawn it to them and that self-blame keeps people quiet. Whereas if you have a mass movement saying this has happened to all of us and these are our shared experiences, people get the confidence in saying it's not my fault, it's mm. not about me. Yes, Miranda. Yeah, yeah, and I think also, Luke, what we've been talking a lot about recently is shifting that blame, mm-hmm. that guilt, that humiliation, that embarrassment um, from the children or from the adults uh, who've been abused to the perpetrator. And I think that's, that's a very important message for, for us as an organization and many others is that mm. we actually have to, because children have been silenced because of the shame and guilt that has been put on them by the perpetrator. And what we really feel is that, you know, Let's maybe not even use the name perpetrate. Let's, let's name the people who they are. Like you said, fathers, stepfathers, uncles, brothers, coaches, teachers, priests, rabbis, whoever it's it is. Let her. us just say that these people have kept the silence, have bought the silence of children for so long because they have shamed them and kept that them guilty. And one thing, and we spoke briefly about the, the Me Too campaign, but for me, one of the biggest things, speaking to a few adult survivors, is that they feel that really they have, we have now named, we know who you are. We know that you are out there. We actually can look at you and we know the people that have supported you, enabled you. So you are the people. That is what we really feel with, with, with a new campaign that we will be in. We will let you know all about Gary, but that is really to, sh- to change the blame and and the shame and put it onto the onto the person who has absolutely caused um who has taken away 
a child's childhood and, in fact, has taken away their adulthood as well. Is that what happened to you, Olivia? Did it take away your childhood? Very much so. I mean, Mm. in fact, it took took a good 45 years of my life. Um, Mm. You know, I've I've had to start from scratch and basically start again. Um, So, yes. I lost 45 years. If it hadn't been for the other girls that had come out with you, do you think if you were alone you would have come out or you would have said, well, it's too risky, no one will believe me, I don't know whether I was at fault, all that kind of stuff? Is it, is it, is it a combination of those? You, you know, Gary, I was very sure of what had happened to one of the ladies, one in particular at the um, time when you were a girl. The, well, no, when, yeah. when, when I started to come out. So, yeah. so it never really crossed my mind, you know, what, what, what if it's just me? Because it wasn't just me. I was very, very sure of, of what had happened to Twiggy because I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, and then obviously there was the other girls as well that I chatted to over the years. So no, that, that never really occurred to me. Um, you know, what, what happens if it's just me or would I have kept quiet? I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really know the answer to that. Luke, we have the terrible title of being called the rape capital of the world here in South Africa. Um, I, I read somewhere a woman is raped every sec- 17 seconds in South Africa. Is that true? We, we worked it out the other day about one, one in every 10 seconds. So, oh, my God. Yeah, so is this women and women men? And or? Ch- women, men and children. Remember, yeah. rape is now no longer, there is no gender discrimination mm. within mm. rape statistics. So mm. that is men, women, children. And they, you know, the stats aren't as aggregated for di- the different genders. So, you know, I think the, the thing that it's, I mean, I, I said to someone the other day, it, it's strange, it's almost like the penis is the new traditional weapon, you know, that been used to wage war on our, our kind of our communities, mm. and it, it it's really terrifying that it's it, it's a type of violence that is routinely turned to as a, as a way to exert male patriarchy and hyper masculinity and misogyny, and it's kind of just perpetuated by this way that we have raised our young people to see women and children. Miranda, yeah, I mean. Um Obviously, my work is mainly um, with with sexual offences against children, but just an organisation like ours, mm. one small organisation in Gauteng with two clinics sees over 2,000 cases a year of children uh, who are abused, of which I'd say it's actually growing nearer to 90% of some sort of sexual violence. I think the, the broader definition now of, yeah. of sexual violence has also, um, allowed, uh, uh, children to, to come to us in the sense of that, as Luke mentioned earlier, somebody who, um, touched a child or, uh, in, in a, in, you know, with their hands or penetrated a child with their fingers or orally, uh, a sexually abused a child was really never seen as serious as a child where there had been penile penetration. Neither was it seen of a boy child mm. who'd been penetrated in this way. So I, I do think that, um, it's it's huge. It is it is you know the the numbers are huge in South Africa. The the huge the problem is there are very few specialists. We were having that conversation a little earlier before coming on to your show. Just really, we we can count um, a couple of handfuls of organisations working uh, specifically with criminal cases of of sexual child abuse um, in our country. And this is and who to refer children to. 
that's what we were also talking about. But for me, one of the the biggest, um, I think, campaigns that I would like to have um, for children really is to is to turn around uh, who the, the the shame and guilt that they take with them for as. As Ellen said, sorry, Olivia, for the I'm rest fine. of her life. And I, uh, I also feel that, um, yeah, that we need to, uh, we, we really need to put it where it is. We need to, and people like Olivia, like Twiggy, um, and all the others who we, we can't name their cases going on at the moment. Um, I've another case who's going to court this week. Um, and she, you know, who, who can actually be free. I feel that, that we can allow them to come forward, support them. I think, and I hope, uh, uh, with Olivia, um, you know, that we, we try to handhold as much as we could them through through what they had to, which was the criminal justice process. How is the uh, criminal justice system, the the police, the prosecution, the magistrates, what's going on out there? Luke, you know more. Okay, for, for me, the system at the moment is quite broken. So it's broken on a number of levels. And I think at, from the initial stages, when you're looking at saying to people there's a mandatory obligation to report abuse under the Sexual Offences Act, I mean, that's that's very nice to say. But how do you access the first-line responders? And the first-line responders are your police. Mm-hmm. So the, the police at your average police station, I mean, I've, I've had to go personally to open dockets because people want a case number and they say, but there's no one to open a docket. So I'm going to make statements so that I can get a, get a case number. Mm-hmm. So the, the policing on, on the ground at the, the first intervention level is quite poor. We also having huge issues around the sort of your average medical professional. And the average medical, mind you, and mental health professional, the average medical and mental health professional who is getting these first disclosures all of a sudden panics because they don't want to end up in court and they're not forensic people and they kind of almost like sort of shuffle around the case a little bit and try to refer it to specialist organizations. So there's a real disincentive, frankly, to enter into the formal criminal justice system from a pure entry level. Once you're in the system and the system is ticking over and you at the Family, Child and Sexual Offences Unit, you're potentially in a sexual offences court where you've got good prosecutors, the system works nicely. But that level of distributive justice is just so poor because that level of specialization exists only really in very, very resource centers. So Again, the you know the, the distribution of justice is based very much on where you live. Mm-hmm. What about the kids in the townships? You, that's where you have your clinics, I believe. Yes, yeah. so I have one clinic there. Excuse I have me the one second. If if a child complains of having been raped and goes into the police station, right? Is, okay. there, is there care and attention in, in our particular? Uh, uh, Clinic in Alexandra, there is, but we only have one clinic in Alexandra and the other one is in Ekureleni. But mm. the one in Alexandra, one of the important things for us, because there had been really a, a horrific case um, in 2002 that I became involved in. And I realized that, you know, in Alexandra did um, did not have sort of a really specialized place that children could come and talk to. So when the new police station opened, um, I spoke to uh, Elizabeth McQuenna, who was running the VEP center. And so we looked at, at putting a facility literally right up above the charge office. So what's happened there is that when children or families come, they get referred straight up to us. And that, 
That really is the difference. And if that, I think my, my colleagues here would agree very much if that was in every single police station, we would see a very different result because then, you know, the charge office is where, as Luke said, that is really where we have our problems. People don't know how to take proper statements down. They don't always want to. They don't understand really, you know, the family violence, how it's involved, uh, uh, child abuse, etc. So really with us, um, we are in a very good position there because, um, Children can come straight up and then, you know, they can, they can see our intake worker. They can see our social worker. In fact, Luke does our supervision there. So he has a very great knowledge of, of what's happening. But also, and I think this is interesting is that we, we have a concern there where we we see a lot of also juvenile offenders and the juvenile offenders don't have a place to go right now the courts are not referring so we are we have juvenile offenders who will probably be adult offenders mm. but um let us let us leave some hope here and i do feel that you know if we could just see a roll out a serious roll out and a, a government will to have specialized centers like we have one-stop centers where children don't have to be re-traumatized by going for a medical and then going to another building where they have to tell their story again and then mm. they have to have court preparation somewhere else that if we could have these facilities and and we, we've said it quite clearly where we have those pockets those children will probably get justice get justice and be mm. able to go with some secondary abuse, I, I cannot say there won't be any, but but certainly the secondary abuse is very high mm. uh, when one looks at um, child abuse and especially sexual violence of children. I know they wanted to roll out uh, children's courts. I think they did one in Cape Town. Is that, uh, do you know anything about that, Luke? Yeah. Okay, so they, they do have specialist courts. So there's different mm. models around court, uh, court specialization. They've got two Tuzela centers, which are run by the soccer unit of the NPA. Mm. They've got um, clinical medico-legal centers that are dotted around. But in terms of broad access, they, they, they're very much kind of pilot sites that are often funded by international money, you know, running kind of parallel systems to the sort of the, conv the conventional justice system, which are not really scalable. I, I don't think we have sufficient skill training um, of the of the prosecutors and the police officers and the medical professionals in in general. Mm. So you, you can find these sort of pockets and centers of excellence that shows how the system can work, that the laws are good, that the laws can be implemented. But the it's almost based on the personality of the people running it, whether you do or do not get service. It's, it's, it's not a process-driven system. It's almost reliant on personalities to, to individuals to keep it sort of, um, well, to, to keep the service at a level where we don't harm children more by uh, involving them in our system. Uh, yeah, I don't think this is just um, confined to South Africa. We may be the rape capital, which is a terrible title, but when you talk, when you think of Lady Gaga and Madonna, mm -hmm. they were raped in their teens. Ashley Judge was sexually assaulted at a very young age. Oprah Winfrey is well documented. She was abused at a young age. Queen Latifah. I mean, we can go on and on. Terry Hatcher was abused by her uncle when she was five. This is terrible stuff. I think the point of today is the silence that these people endure and that Olivia endured must be horrific. And so, uh, Olivia has confirmed that. 
how do we get our kids to talk about it? That I know we, we, we going back to the same point, Luke, but how, how, what do we do? What do I tell my little boy if anything should happen to him? What do I tell him? Well, the, the, the first thing you want him to do is you, you must recognize that a good parent-child relationship is the single greatest protective feature for your child against anything. Mm. Whether it be abuse by the people, substance abuse, running away, behavioral problems, whatever. So the ability to communicate with your children and give them vocabularies for difficult sort of courageous conversations is, mm. is the first thing. The second, the second thing is to actually be a present parent. Uh, parenting is not a subable job. I mean, no matter how good you are on this talk show, anybody can do your job, maybe not as well, but no one can parent your child for you. That's mm. the one job that they can't do. So the, the thing I always say to parents is your presence, and I mean mindful presence as opposed to just sort of standing around on your cell phone, is probably the thing that will protect your child from most things. And then you need to do some basics. Number one is if somebody does more for your child or likes your child more than you do and wants to give them special lessons and free stuff and you know come you you are so multiply talented go with them to every single practice every session every lesson because while not wanting to limit your child's opportunities to develop greatness you you cannot allow people to do more for your child than what you do for them because that's the first part of grooming and what happens from there is that they once they've developed the favorite they then isolate the children and then they get involved in things we call taboo violations so taboo violation is something the parent would not allow the child to do very common i don't know what happened with olivia but very common in male teens who are abused these adults will allow them to look at pornography will allow them to drink will give them a bit of marijuana so that they can't go back to their parents and say that something has happened because they've, they've somehow become complicit mm-hmm. and the minute you have secrecy that is the power behind abuse so parental presence knowing where your children are where they're going who they're going with making sure that they're never alone with some person who thinks they're the greatest thing ever you should be your child's greatest fan you know, on that very note, my kid has boxing lessons at home. Hmm. Okay, the teacher comes there. If I can't be there, which I can't often be because of because of work pressures, I ask my domestic worker just to sit around. Correct. Um, I think he knows why she's sitting sure. there. He's a great guy. Yeah. I I have no doubt he wouldn't do anything, but. I'm, I'm hysterical about these things because I do too many of but, these shows and I see too much. Yeah. That's where the conversation starts. Yeah. The reason that I've got someone here with you is where there's two adults, there's almost no chance one will do wrong. Yes. Because it's just simply we call it I and the child. And as if there's a second set of eyes, I mean, you know, in the work I do and I have to sit with, with children alone, I make sure either the doors are open or I sit mm. by a window where people can see me. And I do that happily. Because the children feel safe with that presence. And if something is happening that you need a second set of eyes to see, was that normal? You at least have a reference point. Olivia, when you think back to the, to the lessons, should your mom have been around more? How did he get you into his car? Where was your mom? Well, on that particular day, he had collected me from school. But a lot now of... Is that, I mean, that's something that wouldn't happen today, I guess. Well, uh, no, certainly I, not. I yeah. should hope not, yeah. But, you know, a lot of the yeah. time in the grooming process, um, just thinking what, what Luke is saying now, he he had a lot of one-on-ones with us on the tennis court. So, oddly enough, even though there were three or four girls on the court at any given time with him, he mm. would get us into a corner and it would just be small little remarks, comments, small little things. 
Um, you know, one of the biggest things I remember is when we were in the States, um, there were four girls with us or four of us, um, that were girls. And he called us up to his room to collect pocket money individually. Now, as a 12 year old or a 10 year old or however old I was when I went there, I don't actually, you know, it, it didn't really occur to me that there was something off. But obviously when I got to his room and he was lying naked in his room, yes, something was off. But mm-hmm. I never went and said anything to those other girls because of the embarrassment of, oh my God, he was naked. You, you, know? n- you never told your mom about that either or you did? Um, I did, well, no, not at yeah. the, no, no, I actually didn't. No, that, yeah. that was something that never came up. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, he did. He got us into spots. Where we, where we were alone with him. And there were people around us. You know, if I think in hindsight, the one girl's dad used to sit next to that court religiously. He never left the tennis court's side. Yet Bob was still able to do the things I that he did. I think it came out afterwards that many people afterwards, his age group, yes, his peers yes. said, we knew all along that yes, he was messing with yes. the girls. I was at a tournament yeah, in March yeah. and one of the guys said to me, we all knew it. He said, why didn't you come to me and say something? Um, this, this particular guy was, I think, two years older than me at the time. And I said to him, how could I come to you and tell you that this had been happening? They all knew it. But there's an, there's an mm. irony in that, 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 that's very sad. If everybody's saying we knew it was happening, mm. why mm. do they then come to you as mm. an adult and say, why didn't you tell me if they knew? Yes. Why didn't they do something? So, I mean, yeah, it's 100%. again victim shifting, victim mm. blaming, mm. you know? Yeah. So it's again the shift. If you had have told me, I would have done something. But in the same way, the same, but I actually knew something. Mm. They were so, all members of the same boys club. You know, they were all tennis people and one didn't want to, 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 to talk about the other so they kept quiet about it, but they all knew. But but yeah. even now, you know, I mean my story is no secret. Um mm. at the tournaments where there's two, three hundred people at any given time, everybody still whispers about it and every now and again it comes out that, you know, oh you the girl, you know, or you the woman. Because I walk onto the court and they're like, Oh, it's you, you know. Is it a case of the more we drum into our children, you must tell me if anything happens mm. to you, you must, you must, you must do that. Is that helpful or isn't it helpful? Well, I think the first thing is we need to teach children how to be able to be confident enough to say that person makes me uncomfortable. Mm. I don't want to hug uncle whoever or kiss auntie whatever on the lips. But do we tell them don't kiss so-and-so and and don't hug? So so there's a level at which we can't pathologize intimacy either. So mm. the, the, there's a level at which we, we have to teach children the right, the right boundaries. Mm. But if a child says, I don't want to kiss granny or her grandpa, I don't want to go to that person, the simple question is, that's really interesting. What makes you feel like you don't want to go back there? Mm. Because often they, they make indirect disclosures. In other words, they're not, they're not saying things directly, but there's a sense of discomfort. Mm. They know there's a gut feeling that something's off. And if you stop it at that point, and you can see with what Olivia was saying, is that he would test them. So what he'd do is he'd have a little snide comment and see if they told. And if they had have told early on, he would have not targeted them anymore, would have targeted somebody else who would have kept quiet. Mm. So these offenders, they, they test children. And the groomers in particular, and, and if they test the children and they cross in that taboo and the children aren't going to tell a trusted adult, they push it further and further and further. So it's a level at which if your children aren't, aren't happy mm. in the company of somebody, they're allowed to not be, you can go with, you can send somebody else with. Your example of your son 
just for in case to watch, you know, boxing is a contact sport, he might get a concussion, whatever the case is, mm. you know, you need someone there as, as another, another safety mechanism. Mm. We, but we also do want to. You can get hysterical over this as well. That's I mean, what you can I'm become saying. A, an absolutely hysterical parent. So you, you know, you can't go and sleep out at any of your friends. I mean, it's, it, you can take this to an illogical stage as well. I guess, yeah. You know, but, yeah. there's a guy that I've interviewed and you know him very well, um, uh, uh, Sam Sosa. Yes, Reese Man. He said that he would not let his daughters out of his sight. He was abused by his, no, his rugby coach times, and, and yeah. a yes. few different people. He said he would not let his daughter sleep out. He was hysterical about it. Yeah. And I can understand it. Yeah. But I think just reiterating what Luke said about mm. the fact that you, you are the go-to person for your child. Mm. You are the first. Other people, it's not a whole range of people who fetch your child or have other ways of um, ingratiating themselves in the child's life. You know, that they sort of almost have a, a bigger place or a more more important place or the fact that um, you you almost um, give over to that person, and also what I want to come back to is, you know, like uh, both Luke and uh, Olivia said about the fact he'd say a word or he'd uh, do something or uh, allow you to, for instance, watch a movie out of school, which where you should be at school. Now you are already sort of complicit in the fact that you did something wrong together. So maybe if I shouldn't hadn't gone to that movie or I hadn't smoked grass or I hadn't watched a movie or I hadn't accepted that present, um, I would have been able to talk about it or the fact that I went two or three times. Now I'm really, now, I mean, who's going to be, why would I have gone back a second mm. or third time? That I think is also very important for us to stand, understand and for parents to understand that children do. The fact is that they are already in that position where their silence has already been uh, bought, I can say, by mm. by by those who are abusing them. We're being held to ransom. Yeah. He held us to ransom with the secrets that we were keeping about him. I love these shows. Uh, you people do amazing work. You really do. You save lives, many lives, uh, tragedies out there. And we just pray to God that our kids are not one of the... The numbers, that's all. Many thanks to you all. Olivia, your life is much better. Ah, I'm in such a yeah. good space. You can oppose the parole application, you know that. Ah. Yeah, so you will be notified. No, in I'm fact, done. Are you? Mm, if I'm he done. applies for parole, you, you're you going to let it go? Yeah, I'm done. You won't oppose it? He must yeah. do what he wants now going forward. We may oppose it. I want you to say really. it. Yes, we will. I just we hope will. he's been we thinking Just make sure you get done. notified, um, and you've got to notify the authorities. Yes, you yes. know all that. Fortunately, so. the, the arresting officer um, works with our team, okay. a great FCS officer, and we will we will be notified and Certainly, we will. We will do that. We believe he should stay there. You're getting me all fired up again. No, <laughs> <laughs> the two angels in our studio, Luke Lamprecht and Miranda, uh, double-barreled name, Miranda Jordan Friedman. <laughs> Jordan Friedman. Many thanks. Keep up the good work. We're going to get you back. We always love having you in studio. To our parents out there, I think you've learned a lot today. Just uh, go, go easy, and and just be careful. Yeah. Cool. Many thanks to you, our listener. You want yes, to and thank you yeah. so much, Gary, for having this subject and, and for having Luke and Olivia. And I think, really, if we could talk about this every week I know. of every year, yeah. I think that we, we start, we'd start opening up a lot of things. And, um, yeah. 
Cool. And, and thank you again for that. Cool. Yeah. To our listeners, thanks so much for listening till next Tuesday. Um, I'm Gary Hertzberg. Cheers till then. This is CliffCentral.com.